Hello and welcome to the Mooney on Politics podcast. And this has been recorded on a very wintry looking Friday evening. It's about 4.30 on Friday the 11th of November. Now, unusually, this podcast is appears raw. As in, this is not based on an article I'd previously written. Usually I tend to write something up as a blog post and then convert it into a podcast. And today I've decided to do it slightly the other way around. So you're going to see the podcast first and at some point over the weekend I'll distill them down into a blog post which might be a little bit more coherent and a little less rambling. The podcast this week is, of course, political. But I'm actually looking at a couple of recent developments. I'm going to try and draw a thread between them. And the thread is probably fairly obvious in fairness. But it just had occurred to me over the last few days that these things needed to be drawn together a little closer. It starts with the Tarnished Leo Varadkar's comments about proposing a vote management pact between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, and of course the Greens as well, between the government parties at the next election. I think this was the Tarnister maybe just thinking aloud rather than trying to set a trap. It's very interesting, the example he chose, if at the last election Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael had transferred to each other in the Dublin South Central, then one of them would have taken a seat. Now, maybe he just picked Dublin South Central because technically that's where he's living. But Dublin South Central is an interesting example. First and foremost, he's making the point that neither Fianna Fáil nor Fine Gael have a seat in Dublin South Central. And that in itself is indicative of the problem facing both parties. I would argue that this is the problem facing Fianna Fáil far more so. Because about 20, 30 years ago, Fianna Fáil was comfortably winning two seats in Dublin South Central instead of five seat constituency. And Fine Gael was very comfortably winning one seat. Right across the constituency, they had both had solid working class votes. So Fianna Fáil was winning two seats with John O'Connell and Ben Briscoe, then Ben Briscoe, Sean Arda, and then Sean Arda and Michael Mackay. And in 2011, that ended. For a long time, Fine Gael had a solid vote there with Gay Mitchell. Now, Gay Mitchell was a slightly unique example because the Mitchell brothers, but more so gay in Dublin South Central, had a very strong personal vote that became a Fine Gael vote, but on his departure from politics, that vote kind of shot all over the place. So what's interesting that you now look at South Central having gone from three seats that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael held fairly securely for a long, long time, to no seats. So let's go back to the 2020 election, and Leo Radker's contention is, well, if Fianna Fáil had transferred, then it would have elected a Fine Gael TD. And maybe that's why he is looking at this constituency. Because this is a constituency where Fianna Fáil transfers would have elected a Fine Gael TD. But of course the reality is they didn't. And the Fine Gael outgoing TD didn't need that many votes from Senator Catherine Ardagh when she was eliminated at the, at the 2020 election. But in reality, something like 1,500 of Catherine Ardagh's votes went to the Green candidate, Patrick Costello, who today has had a big victory in the Supreme Court on the CETA case. And I think about 1,100 votes went to Joan Collins. It shows you there that the Fianna Fáil voters weren't, in, weren't inclined to vote for Fine Gael. Indeed, why would they? Because don't forget, Fianna Fáil went into the last election with a mandate of throw the buggers out. And Michal Martin was quoted, strange enough, he actually gave the quote while in Dublin South Central, 
of saying that he would not put Fine Gael back into government. And uh, that is our very clear position. That is our position. Fine Gael need to come out of government. They've been there too long. They haven't delivered on the key issues such as housing, health and the impact of, of costs. Fianna Fáil voters took that at face value and transferred in fairly sizable numbers to everyone bar Fine Gael. I, so therefore, the idea that it was some vote management pact the last time that this would have secured a Fine Gael seat just doesn't stand up. But number two, well, if you're a Fianna Fáil voter and Fine Gael is saying to you, well, look, why don't you transfer to us because we can secure the seat? I think what, what Leo Varadkar is basically saying subliminally to Fianna Fáil voters is like, well, why would you vote for them at all? Just vote for us number one instead. And in fairness to Michael Martin, I think he's actually seeing that. Hence his reasonably quick response to pour cold water over the idea. And I, I, th I think he's right in doing that. Now, having said that, people would also point out, perhaps slightly unfairly and slightly cruelly, well, this is the same Michal Martin who was telling people, well, look, the whole purpose of voting for Fianna Fáil was to put Fine Gael out because they had failed on a range of issues, most notably housing. So I think Michal Martin will have a bit of a credibility gap trying to sell this message of that he's not interested in this vote management pact. But I think his TDs will realise that the surest way for them to lose their seats is to agree to this. Because while some may see, oh, look, there'll be some Fine Gael votes floating around there that will secure my seat, the vast majority will realise that this has been invited in to be cannibalised by Fine Gael. And certainly the Greens see that too. The thread I link from that is back to the debate that had happened a few nights ago on housing, where you had the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien, versus his Sinn Féin opposite number, Ono Brin. And while a lot of people were saying, oh, Ono Brin won this hands down, I'm a little more sceptical about that. But I think if you stand back and look at the debate and listen to it, first and foremost, you, you are seized by the fact that as Minister, Dara O'Brien had all the stats and statistics and numbers at his fingertips, and was in many cases able to correct a lot of the misimpressions that Ono Brin had been giving. So Dar O'Brien was very effective in, in, in kind of setting out the targets as any of the progress made. He unfortunately got stuck in a unnecessary discussion around how you describe the housing problem. So is it a crisis, is it an emergency, or as Mary Lou MacDonald said the following day, is it a catastrophe? And this is a little bit like uh, Alan Bennett's answer to the question. Somebody asked him about his sexuality and he said, look, he said, the answer is as relevant. He said, it's a bit like the guy coming across the desert who's been asked, does he prefer Evian or does he prefer Perrier? Well, when you're that thirsty, it doesn't matter what the labour on the bottle is, you'll take it. And similarly with housing, whether you call it a housing emergency, a housing crisis, a housing catastrophe, it feels exactly the same way. And I think the unnecessary quibble on that and the fact that Daryl Bryan kind of rose to the base on it was not good. Now I think for Dara's point of view is that well he didn't want it to call it an emergency because his the core of his argument is that he's starting to tackle it and starting to deal with it and that the problem is starting to come down small. He acknowledges by the way I think fairly openly that it's, he's only made small inroads into us but he sees this as a start of a long program which will gradually deal with us over the next eight nine years. The problem with that is that's the problem. It is been dealt with over seven, eight, nine years rather than been dealt with much quicker. And I think that's where Ono Brin did have the better of the argument, where Ono Brin was able to say, well, look, your targets are not ambitious enough. 
we think your targets are not going to be reached. Well, then most opposition parties are going to say that. So the, the standard cry of any opposition party, irrespective of whether it's on the left or the right, is, well, of course, people should be doing more. And, of course, every government should be doing more, particularly on housing. So it was a fair, it was a fair point for Owen Brin to make. But I think when you got behind that, or got past that, I think Owen Brin was very, very evasive when it came to what Sinn Féin would do extra. Now, he talked about getting rid of the red tape and getting rid of the bureaucracy in the Department of Housing and speeding up processes. But from for the last couple of decades, governments have been talking about speeding up processes, speeding up planning, speeding up appeals, speeding up this whole, this whole situation. And most of them have come a cropper, but good good ideas and good schemes have, have failed. So I just felt Brin was less than convincing on that side of the argument. I also felt that he was unrelentingly negative. His need to talk across the minister and to gainsay the minister at some points shows that he is probably, Brin is probably the better debater. He's the, probably the more skilled TV presenter in terms of knowing how to use the camera and how to use the microphone and knowing how to use reaction shots better than Darrell O'Brien was. But at the end of the day, it didn't, I don't think it impressed that many people. If you weren't already convinced that Owner Brand is the saviour uh, for housing, then I'm not too sure that he sealed the deal with people on that programme. I think he came across as unrelentingly negative. And it's going to be a very, very difficult task for Sinn Féin to maintain that kind of level of momentum from now through to the next election, be that 12, 18 or 24 months away. And I just thought that was an interesting insight because the last poll we saw from Lucindo and from the Irish Times, as you saw, Sinn Féin had dropped slightly. Now, that's, I don't think that should be alarming. and I don't think anyone should be seeing this as the, 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 this is the road downwards for Sinn Féin. Because the most significant thing about that, and I was surprised even when I was talking to some former Fianna Fáil colleagues and even some serving Iraqis members who were saying to me, well, we were that they, they were surprised that when Sinn Féin had dropped two points, the Fianna Fáil didn't pick up anything. Well, I'm not surprised at that. Why would they? And I think it's significant that Sinn Féin drops two points and they stay on the opposition side of the House. That's the problem for Fianna Fáil. But it was interesting that Sinn Féin did lose a little bit of ground, and that is, but that when it does, it's going to go to the other opposition parties. So it's kind of that comes back to this original point about Leo Varadkar trying to pull together the government parties into vote for the government or vote for the opposition. Well, and I think that's a flawed argument because if, if that's the offer he wishes to present to the electors, I think that the electors might say, "Well, okay, fair enough. We're going to vote for the opposition," because the voters thought they had given Fine Gael their marching papers in 2016. But because there was no clear win for anyone else, Fine Gael continued in government. And I think the voters were prepared to buy into a year or two of current confidence in supply. I think the argument around Brexit might have held water for 12, 18, 24 months. But I think after that point, it, had, it ceased to be convincing. And I think the problem with Michal Martin was he didn't grasp that and didn't realise that. And then made, I think, enormous mistake of continuing confidence in supply in 2018. And indeed, I wrote about that in various blogs on my website at the time, suggesting that Michal Martin, certainly if he was going to continue continuity in supply, which, was a bad, which would have been a bad idea anyway, but he should have exacted a far higher price for us, and he just basically gave an open check. The reason I mention that now is because that relates back to the debate between Dara O'Brien and Arnold Wren, 
Because one of the points where Owner Brain, I thought, really scored a point over Dara O'Brien and where you could see that Dara O'Brien was slightly pained over it was when Owner Brain accused Dara O'Brien of having been in Owen Murphy's pocket for the preceding years, where Dara O'Brien was making the point of look, I'm only in government for two and a half years and we've now kind of we've now got record starts for the first time in a decade. And I think that was a convincing argument, but it's an argument which is completely deflated when Owen O'Brien can say, yeah, but you're the guy who kept the previous fella in there, so you can't complain about his inactivity when you're the one who wouldn't bring him down. Now, I don't think that's true in Dara O'Brien's case, because I think if you go back to sorry, 2018s, that Dara O'Brien was knocking lumps out of Owen Murphy as Minister for Housing. But the problem is that the solar run by Michal Martin in announcing the, the extension of confidence and supply without any preconditions, without any negotiations, without any insistence, particularly around housing. And don't forget again, which is the government eventually fell in late 2019 or 2020 as the election was brought forward because Sinn Féin had put down a motion of no confidence in Owen Murphy where Michal Martin was basically suggesting, well, we're going to full confidence in Owen Murphy. And it was down to TDs for the likes of John McGuinness to say, there are no circumstances where I'm voting confidence in Owen Murphy. And therefore the Fianna Fáil campaign had been torpedoed by its own leader in advance of the election. And I think that's the issue and that's what we're coming back to. And we return to the issue by like, well, why is an unpopular party led by a popular leader? Well, I think the difficulty with Fianna Fáil is that its leader has been operating in the presidential style for a good while, where he is completely focused on his own personal popularity levels, not his own parties. And therefore, he was making decisions from 2018 onwards, which were about his ability to secure the opposite T-shirt. And by the way, every party leader is entitled to have that ambition to, to, to attempt to do that. But I think what he ended up doing was trading the future of his party to secure high office. And we're now seeing how that plays out. And you're now seeing Varadkar slowly skewering Fianna Fáil leaving Michal Martin aside from that and kind of not, not picking rows with Michal Martin, but picking rows with Fianna Fáil as a party. As, as Leo Radker, as he becomes Taoiseach on the 17th of December, sets out to cannibalise Fianna Fáil's support in the run-up to the next election, so that whenever that election takes place, that Leo Radker will want to present that election as a binary choice between Fine Gael on one side and Sinn Féin on the other. So to take the votes to secure extra Fine Gael seats on first preferences preferably, but possibly even on second preferences, so that Fine Gael can run up its seat total and they can have whatever's left to the remnants of Fianna Fáil, be it whatever, 20 or 25 or maybe even 30 TPs left over, who can then prop up Fine Gael into another government. That's Leo Varadkar's ambition. I just don't see it happening. Having said that, the other point to bear in mind is not so much that Sinn Féin's vote is soft, but over the next two years, they are now defending a position rather than on the attack. And while they will still do oppositional attack politics to keep that little bit of support, that support between 25 and 35, they are going to have to sell something a bit more to that voter cohort. Now, at the moment, the fact that they're not Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael is sufficient to do that. The fact that, look, you've tried all the others, they haven't been able to deal with the big problems, particularly housing. 
give us a chance to do it. So that's a very powerful message and remains a predicament. Change is good is a very, very powerful message in politics, and Sinn Féin has the advantage of that one. But it also has to maintain this momentum right throughout the next 12 to 18, 24 months. But there will still be big questions to ask for Sinn Féin. And based on Ona Brin's performance against Darrell Brown the other night, while I can understand why Sinn Féin cheerleaders are saying, oh, he did brilliantly, he did fantastic, I'm not too sure he did, because I don't think he managed to answer the questions. I think he managed to dodge them far more effectively than Darrell Brown did. So that's where we are at the moment. I think it was an interesting point last night I was watching The View on BBC and where they introduced one of the pieces regarding the current British-Irish Council meeting in Blackpool. They said that it was been attended by the new British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and the outgoing Irish Taoiseach Michal Martin. Where politicians are meeting, we'll have the latest from Blackpool as the new Prime Minister and the outgoing Taoiseach discuss the Northern Ireland Protocol. And I think that's something that Michal Martin and people in Fianna Fáil better be get ready for. That from here on in, he is the outgoing Taoiseach. And he will soon become the former Taoiseach. And thereafter, the questions will arise as he gets to the end of January, when he has been 12 years as leader, is this is the soon-to-be former leader of Fianna Fáil. Now, I'm not making a prediction to say that he'll be gone in 2023. I've never believed that Michal Martin will lead Fianna Fáil into the next election. But I think nobody in Fianna Fáil has been asking themselves seriously the question about who succeeds them, but more importantly, what succeeds them? What is the Fianna Fáil party that succeeds Michal Martin? And I think Leo Varadkar may have done Fianna Fáil a favour by raising some questions about how the next election is conducted. And I think that might be one of the mistakes that Leo Varadkar has made. Because I think Fianna Fáil TDs, there's no appetite to bring down Michal Martin as Taoiseach. But I think there will be a feeling that once he has ceased to be Taoiseach, once he is becoming that outgoing Taoiseach, that people will be looking to say, well, yeah, but what is the future for me? What is the future for the Fianna Fáil party for which I represent? What are my future chances of being re-elected as a Fianna Fáil TD rather than as Johnny whatever, as the local TD who happens to be a Fianna Fáiler? And I think that question will increasingly be asked within Fianna Fáil not just by those people who are described as the rebels and and by the way there's a significant number of those people i mean that they, i've argued for a long time that the numbers within fianna fall i think are quite finely balanced i just personally think that the treatment of mark mcsharry by fianna fall headquarters and the fianna fall leadership over the last few weeks has been abysmal and while mark doesn't make it easy to support him i think the dragging out of the process unnecessarily and the attempts to suggest that this was a far more serious matter than it was. You could see that there was an attempt to needle people, and the powers that be within Fianna Fáil seemed determined to just make this more difficult and more unnecessarily complicated than it had to be. And that, to me, says that the numbers were so finely balanced that, that people around Michal Martin did not want to see another very vocal rebel return to the fold. Uh, somebody who has made it clear that he believes T. Michal Martin's time as leader is up. So uh, you can understand why Michal Martin didn't want to see that person back, but that's not how you do it. You don't get to choose your electorate. So I think that was a bad sign. I think it was not a good day for democracy within Fianna Fáil when that was allowed to happen. Mark resigned as a meet member of Fianna Fáil. I think he has made a huge tactical error and I think 
Mark has shown that while he is somebody who is passionate about Fianna Fáil, he is passionate about his beliefs, he is probably not the greatest tactician or strategist that has ever seen the inside of Leinster House. And I'm sorry to see him gone. I am sorry to see it happen the way it did. But it tells me that things within the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party are not as calm as Michal Martin would like to give the impression of. I think, and I've thought for a while, that even the most hardened opponent of Michal Martin, or critic of Michal Martin, or even rebel, whatever you choose to call them, none of them wanted to be seen to be acting against Michal Martin while he was Taoiseach, but that they wanted to start a debate about what was going to happen after the Martin era. And the Martin era is nearly at an end. I think that debate will now happen naturally enough by itself sometime early next year. And I think it may get a greater momentum than originally thought because maybe the way of Michal Martin's handling of what's just happened because of his treatment of the parliamentary party. I will finish off with this point and it's kind of a point that I will direct to Fianna Fáil members which if they're trying to be a little bit hopeful about the future. Back in 2019, Sinn Féin suffered a big, big setback in the 2019 locals and European elections. And what Sinn Féin did afterwards was have an honest conversation with itself. Now, it was conducted very privately, very internally, as Sinn Féin discussions naturally are. There was no rush to the microphones and there was no rush to social media to talk about internal discussions. But you saw Sinn Féin having an honest conversation with itself about why it had lost so badly. And it took some lessons from that. So it didn't just analyse why it had gone wrong if resolved not to let it happen again. Fianna Fáil still hasn't done that. Fianna Fáil has an extremely good document in Sean Fleming's analysis of the 2020 election. It is an extremely good report with many, many strong recommendations, none of which I've, been, I can, I've seen any attempt to implement. But if people return to that document and return to the very clear errors he identified, and I think Sean was extremely diplomatic in attributing less blame to the party leadership than I would in terms of naming them. But I think if people in Fianna Fáil start returning to that document over the next coming weeks and months, and looking to that as a pointer to the way forward, and looking to the polls and realising that the Fianna Fáil problem in the polls, as identified by Kevin Cunningham many, many times over, but not just Kevin, is that Fianna Fáil has lost its working class vote. It lost it in 2011, it lost it to Labour initially, and has lost it to Sinn Féin since then. And what you've seen now since Fianna Fáil went in with Fine Gael is that Fianna Fáil have completely lost all of its working class vote. And then Fine Gael's vote has also got older as it's kind of lost any of its renter. Where's the Fianna Fáil working class vote gone? Has that gone to Sinn Féin? Sinn Féin Féin have taken all of it. And actually, the interesting thing, we talk quite a lot about the age demographics and the fact that Sinn Féin have won a lot of that. That's only half and maybe less than half, I think, of the story around Sinn Féin. It's far more, to my mind, and certainly in terms of data, a story about class and division in that respect. I'll give you two stats, right? So I know Sinn Féin do relatively well amongst 18 to 24-year-olds. They get around 45% or whatever, 42% depending on the poll. Among people who identify as working class, they get 51%. And that's about half the public. 18 to 24-year-olds are only around 10%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other stat, which is actually even more alarming, is, is around uh, private health insurance. So around half the public have private health insurance, around half don't. Again, Sinn Féin get half of that vote that doesn't have private health And if Fianna Fáil gets to grips with that and recognises that housing is their number one issue, 
and that at the moment all Sinn Féin has got to say is we will do it slightly faster, slightly better, slightly quicker. And if Fianna Fáil can come up with a strategy that catches Sinn Féin out of that because Sinn Féin doesn't have a plan to do that, it just has a mantra of that's the ready answer, then I think there is a rollback for Fianna Fáil. So that's it, trying to end in a slightly, or a slightly optimistic note, but maybe I'm successful, maybe not. Okay, at some point over the weekend, I will condense these ramblings into something a little bit more coherent as a blog post, and I will post it up here. In the meantime, enjoy the podcast, enjoy the weekend. I know it's going to be a bit wintry, haven't said that, still a little bit on the mild side. So have a good time, and we'll talk to you in a week or two. Cheers, bye-bye.